Well, good morning, Living Water. It's good to see everyone out this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. If you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's word, I'll read aloud as you follow along silently. Today we're looking at verses 11 through 24. John writes, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love his does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Can you bring me down just a little bit, Anthony? Just a little bit right there. Thank you. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because, his, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Brothers and sisters of the word of the Lord, let me briefly pray and then let's jump in. Bow with me for a brief moment. Heavenly Father, please help me to clearly communicate your word to your people so that they might obey your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit for your glory. I ask these requests in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So this, this past Thursday, as um, every Thursday, generally, uh, except for when I'm out of town, I'm in my community group, and we're going through a study right now by Dr. Bruce Wilkinson, which I have mentioned in previous messages on the testing of your faith. And this week in the video, uh, he shared a story from his life that I, I want to share with you. And this event took place in his life the night before the recording that we were watching as he was recording all of the series uh, over the period of that week. And on that night, uh, he was in his hotel with his wife. He decided to go down after recording the session he had done for that day and to sit down in the courtyard, I guess, in the front of the hotel near the sidewalk, not far from the street. And while he was there, his heart was filled up with joy and thankfulness to God. And so he prayed to God while he was sitting there. He said, Lord, I would like to do something for you, something that would be pleasing for you. Would you allow me to do something for you? A few moments after praying, uh, a gentleman, probably around the age, he said, of about 30, 
came skating down the sidewalk on the skateboard with the frozen pizza under his arm. And for some unknown reason, when he got to where Dr. Wilkinson was sitting on the bench in the courtyard, he just stopped and stood there. Dr. Wilkinson, taking this as a prompt from God, greeted the man and asked him would he like to sit down with him on the bench, which the man said, sure, and, and sat down. And Dr. Wilkinson then, uh, being the uh, friendly person that he is, he began to engage the man in conversation. And, and through this conversation, he, he discovered a few things about him as they sat and they talked. He found out that he was homeless, that he was a musician, and he found out that he had been battling some severe health challenges in his life. And he found out as he was talking to him also that the frozen pizza that was under his arm had been recently stolen by the man from Target, which he had mentioned twice during the conversation. It was at that moment that Dr. Wilkinson began to turn the conversation towards spiritual things and began to talk about God with the man. And in that part of the dialogue, as he was talking to him about God, he asked the man, hey, if you could ask God for anything at this moment to meet a need in your life, what would you ask God for? The man began to explain the reason that the pizza was stolen was because as he was sleeping in the forest the night before, someone else took advantage of why he was sleeping, stole his guitar and his backpack that had all of his belongings and resources in them. And so he said, if God could give me a new guitar, because that's how I make my living and survive as I'm living out here, and I would not like to sleep in the forest again tonight. Dr. Wilkinson, after hearing the man's story, as he was praying throughout the conversation, asking God what he should do, he felt led by the Lord to share what he had with the man. So he reached in his pocket and pulled out all the cash that he had in his pocket and handed it to the, to the man. And he asked him to count it to make sure that it was the amount that the man had specified for the amount that he needed to purchase a new guitar. When he counted the man, the money was just short of what he needed for the stated price that he had given. So Dr. Wilkinson went to the other place, which was in his wallet, where he says he keeps a stash of money that he's already dedicated to God in prayer. And he just said, hey, God, this money here in my wallet is for you. I'm not going to count on it, and I'll just keep putting money aside, and you tell me when you want to use it, and then I'll put it to use for you. So he felt that this was one of those moments. So he reached in his wallet in his secret place that he keeps that stash of money that it belongs to God, and he pulled it out, and the man was like, no, no, no. And he was like, no, this money belongs to God, so I'm going to give it to you. So he asked him to count it. And at the end of the tallying of it, it ended up to be $885. The man then was moved to tears by such generosity. Dr. Wilkinson went on to, to talk to the man some more about God, and then he asked him as a part of the conversation, would you be willing to do something for God now that God has met the needs and requests of your prayer that you have asked of him? And the man said, gratefully, of course, I would be happy to do what God asked. He says, why don't you go back to the store now and let them know that some kind of way the pizza was not paid for and you pay for the pizza. The man got up with a smile on his face and headed back to Target to pay for the pizza. For the last seven weeks, we have shared with you the characteristic that should mark the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. These included, as you'll see on the screen, things like allegiance to Jesus, repentance, devotion to God's word, denial of self, submission, recognizing God's ownership, and last week you heard about loving God. 
This week, we want to add another as we approach the very end of this series. So in my preparation this week, as I was preparing on Wednesday to meet with the three men who are training in our church to serve as elders, in my reading and preparation, I ran across a statement, I think, that illustrates this well. Alex Straw, who has served as a church elder for over 30 years, as well as a college professor, wrote this statement, and I think it gets to the heart of the matter. If you were to ask the average Christian what he or she wants most from spiritual leaders, the answer in most cases would be to be loved and cared for. Nothing ministers to people's deepest need more than genuine Christian love. There's an old saying that should be scribed and scribed and placed on the wall of every elder's homes. Man before business because man is your business. Now, what is true of elders in this case should be true of all followers of Jesus Christ. As you saw on the slide, we should show a genuine concern for the good of others at personal cost. If I were to put it in more simple language or how we would use it in a biblical way, I would just simply say, love others. Love others. And that's what our text presses home today. Now, from John's writing, we won't have time to go into every detail, but I do want to raise three reasons from the text why John wants us to love others or express a genuine concern for the good of others at personal cost. And Jesus himself provides us the first reason why we ought to show a genuine concern for the good of others at personal cost. And it's this. Jesus models loving others for us. Jesus models loving others for us. So earlier in the letter of John, John brings out some characteristics of things that he wants to say about knowing God and being in relationship with God. And he writes these words. Whoever says, I know him, I'm in a relationship with God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word and him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you're here today and you profess to have faith in God, saving faith in Jesus Christ, and you're in relationship with God, then John says you ought to live in the same manner that Jesus lived his life. Now, John draws upon the key command that Jesus gives in what is referred to as the upper room discourse. If you were to find that, you would find that in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through chapter 17. But John states here the primary way he wants us to imitate the Lord's behavior. If you look at your Bibles at the end of verse 11, you'll find it written there. John says... We should love one another. Now, in the context of John's letter, John is focusing on relationships within the community of faith. He's talking about loving other believers. And the reason why is because of what we can gather from what's happening in the church. There has been a church split. Some of those have left the church. There are those who are behind. And John is trying to encourage believers to engage in good relationships of continuing to love and care for one another. 
but we, not, we do not want to take this text in isolation from what God has revealed in the rest of Scripture. We know from the rest of Scripture that the love that believers have have to extend beyond the community of faith. Jesus teaches this himself in the Sermon on the Plain. We get this from the illustration of the Good Samaritan, and we find it when Paul writes to the Galatians, and he says to them and encourages them to do good to all people, and then he brings out a subgroup, especially when you have a chance to serve and do good to other believers. So how did Jesus love others? Well, John puts things in perspective by contrasting the way that Jesus lived in one key moment in his life with another historical figure, Cain. And Cain gets his claim to fame from slaughtering his brother, Abel. Now, for John and writers who preceded him, Cain represents the mindset and attitude that we often find which characterizes those who are in the world, which John describes as hate for others. See, the world is like Cain. It is under the influence of the evil one, which results often in a self-focus and a desire for autonomy. So John says, hey, listen, when you as a believer are trying to seek to live a life for God, you ought not be surprised when those in the world act in what we would describe as a way of hating you. Because when you live a godly life, you remind those who are not living godly lives that they're not living godly lives, and they will hate you for doing that. Well, John says this, this is what characterizes the attitude of the world. It is the same mindset that Cain has, and that is this. The world enjoys taking life for, from others for personal benefit. I was reminded of this recently when two different friends have suffered identity theft. Someone else stole their information and took what belonged to them to enrich themselves. John says that is hate for your brother or sister. Now, the Lord Jesus, as he lays out that cloth for us to see how the Lord Jesus' actions are in contrast are very different. If you look at verse 16, you'll see how Jesus loves others. And this is the famous corollary to John 3.16. We have 1 John 3.16. It says Jesus laid down his life. Jesus gave his life for the benefit of others. John says Jesus doesn't take life. Jesus gives life. And as a result from those who have received life from Jesus, we are under obligation to do likewise. Now, Jesus, John is going to interpret Jesus means in a very practical way that everyone can follow Jesus' example, as we see in verses 17 and verse 18. John says that when we're keenly aware of the need of another believer here, or we might broaden it out to another person, that is, you, you don't have cursory knowledge. You know about the need. You know that it is a need, then, and you have the ability or resources to meet that need, then you should share your resources with the person, specifically another believer who's in need. So what is a need? Well, in John's context, in the first century, that would have been food, clothing, and shelter. That's when a person had a need. From the parable of the Good Samaritan, we might add in, if we see a person in need of aid, we could throw that in. 
from the upper room discourse, we can draw in that foot washing, which represents all kinds of tasks that are menial. We can say those kinds of things also could be a need. And we can most definitely say we want to address the most pressing issue that people are facing, which is their need for a relationship with God. And as you just sung, pardon from sin. And that only comes through gospel proclamation. Now, John in this text is focusing on meeting physical needs at the cost of our own personal resources. It is in this way we follow Jesus' example by giving life to others. That's how he phrases it. This idea of sharing resources is giving life to those who are in need. What John is getting at is that love requires more than promises and well wishes. It requires concrete action. Scholar David Allen brings out a historical example, which I thought was fitting for this moment. So in one of his sermons, George Whitfield told a story about a poor beggar who went to the pastor and asked the pastor for alms, to which the pastor refused. And so the beggar in response said, well, would you mind giving me a blessing? And the pastor said, God bless you. To which the beggar responded, oh, you would not give that to me if it had any value. We have to take risks for the welfare of others. That's what he gets at here. Scholar Karen Jones brings this out when she writes, it means making life-sustaining resources available to meet the needs of those in dire circumstances, providing clean water, food, clothing, shelter, and of greatest importance, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Or as Gary Derrickson writes, we express our appreciation for Christ's self-sacrifice by our own self-sacrifice. We meet the needs of other Christians. Sometimes this will involve financial help, such as paying bills or purchasing food. Sometimes it will involve time and energy, such as listening to them and helping them work on their home or home project, like Pastor Mike did when he helped me put in my garbage disposal because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) And it's still working today. Amen. See, it always costs us something in terms of money, energy, emotion, and time. And if it doesn't cost you anything, then it's not a sacrifice. So about two or three weeks ago, a lady by the name of Rosalind uh, came to our food pantry. She's a Christian, and she's a grandmother who's caring right now to help out one of her children for her three grandchildren, and she's the one providing care for them. So she's mothering for a second time in her life. She just happens to be at a point of need, so she stopped by our pantry. For some reason, after she stopped by the pantry, she decided to come up to the main building where she, upon entering the main building here as you came in this weekend, ran into Grace and Betsy, who were uh, at the front office window. And she was burdened. She, She was overwhelmed because she had just come from the doctor, and she had received a diagnosis that she has stage 3A chronic kidney failure, and the doctor said that she would need treatment. Considering the fact that she was caring for her grandchildren and not really sure what this would mean for her, those who in the medical community understand what this means better than I do, but she was overwhelmed by the fact that she was going to have to start some form of treatment. Grace and Betsy took time to listen to her as she shared in tears what was going on in her life. And after she shared what was going on and cried and they gave her tissues to to wipe her tears away, 
they said, can we pray for you? And Gracie and Betsy took her hands and they prayed for her. She felt encouraged and she left. So last week, I went downstairs for a meeting that I, realized I, didn't realize, I forgot what we were not having. And I uh, decided after sitting there, uh, Pastor Mark was with me, of course, and um, we realized we weren't having a meeting. We decided to come back upstairs because nobody else was showing up. So as we were making our way upstairs, I, I heard some commotion in the upper lobby, and it was the sound of Rosalind's voice talking to Grace and Betsy, and she was thanking them profusely and praising God. She had just come back from the doctor. When she had come back from the doctor, upon a review of her kidney again, they said her kidney was functioning fine. There was no signs of anything going on. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, because I don't know the details of what happened, maybe God healed her. Or maybe God just corrected something that had been in error. What I do know, what she told me was that she couldn't help but come back by and tell them the good news because they were the ones who had taken time to listen to her at a point of need and care for her and pray for her. John thus encourages us in the text. When you see a need and your heart begins to reach out, and, and perhaps you begin to evaluate what's going on in their life to, to say whether or not you should give to them. He says, don't close up your compassion for others. We ought to have a genuine concern for the good of others at personal cost. The second reason is that loving others impacts our prayer life. It impacts our prayer life. Verses 19 and 20. Now, these verses are notoriously difficult to interpret for several reasons, which I will not state in this moment. So scholars are divided on how to interpret these verses because there's a number of things in the text that can make the text go one way or another way. You have to make several decisions about the text. Let me give you the gist of what they're getting at. They're not sure if the relationship between verses 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 is a positive to positive relationship or a negative to positive relationship. The majority of scholars view it as a positive to positive relationship, whereas the minority view sees it as a negative to positive relationship. So I want to kind of let you hear two scholars talk about this so you can kind of hear the majority view. I'm not going to share the minority view today, but I am going to share with you the majority view. But I want to see, let you hear how the scholars unpack this with the difficulties that are in it to get the point across. So Der Gary Derrickson, who represents several scholars that I read of the positive or the majority view, explains it this way. He says, John says that our conduct impacts our prayer life in terms of the level of confidence we will have when approaching God with our petitions. Being a child of God does not necessarily lead to confidence before him any more than being a child of anyone else does. Confidence results from relationship, the right kind of relationship. It's also impacted by personality traits, life events that may or may not lead to guilt. It is impacted by one's knowledge and maturity level. On the one hand, confidence is available to all of us on the basis of Christ's work alone. On the other hand, it is contingent upon obedience and abiding. Now, John brings up the reality of self-doubt in a Christian who is sincerely trying to obey the commands of God. 
How do we handle a problem of lack of confidence before God? He says, we do not look to our own works to see if we conform to the family of God, but instead we look to God himself. His point in by saying that God knows all things is that whenever something comes along that impinges on our confidence before God, God is already aware of it and he is greater than our fears. Because God dwells within the believer who in turn abides within him. And this is enabled by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The effect of the believer abiding in God is that God hears his or her prayers. What John is getting at here is that if we're walking in obedience, obeying Christ or God's commands and Christ's commands that he gave, then we can have confidence before God. Here, obedience is obedience to loving others, especially other believers. We know that when we pray because we're in obedience to God, then he hears us and he will answer our prayers. David Allen brings it out this way. He says, John is not teaching that we somehow earn the right to have our prayers answered by means of loving fellow believers. On the contrary, loving fellow believers in obedience to God's command shows that we are in the will of God and thus we're in a place where God can and will answer our prayers. Our prayer life cannot be divorced from our relationship to fellow Christians. Now, Peter makes this point specifically in 1 Peter 3, 7, when he warns husbands, and we might here just say spouses, that how you treat your spouse will affect whether or not God will listen to you and answer your prayers. Now, this is not an idea that's new. It comes right out of the Old Testament. The prophets repeat this idea in my devotional reading time. I ran across this several times in the book of Jeremiah, where God is in the book of Jeremiah, and he says to the prophet, I don't want you to pray for this people. Don't pray to me. Don't ask for healing. Don't ask for deliverance. I'm not going to listen. I have decided because the people have gone into idolatry and they have not obeyed my commands to love others and treat others as I have said to treat them. I've decided at this point I'm done. And it doesn't matter if they pray. I'm not going to hear their prayers. And if you pray, I'm not going to answer your prayer. And even if you were Moses, I wouldn't answer your prayer because I'm already at the point that I'm done. Brothers and sisters, what God is saying that is that if you, where you treat other people, specifically your spouse or others in the Christian community, will impact whether or not God will listen to what you have to say. And maybe that's the reason why sometimes our prayers go unanswered because there's unaddressed relationships in our lives where we haven't loved another. Following Jesus entails that we have to have a genuine care for the good of others at personal cost. Let me give you the third and final reason here as our time comes to a close. The third reason is that God commands us to love others. God commands us to love others. Now, I'm not going to explain on this point, explain it more in detail because Bongo's already done a whole sermon on it last week. Just want to mention here briefly a couple of things in closing. So, Bongo laid out the whole context of relationship between love and obedience. I'm going to ask you, if you haven't listened to that sermon, to go back and listen to it. What I do want to draw your attention to is one observation, and for that, I want to go back and read the last two verses of the text for today, 23 and 24. And I want you to hear what John says. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this, we may know that he abides in us 
by the spirit whom he has given us. Now, there's something significant that happens in verse 23. John switches from using the plural commandments to the plural to the singular command. It is one commandment. And what the implication is, is that God has given us one commandment with two parts, a part A and a part B. Notice what the text says. Part A, believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And part B, love one another. Now, scholar Colin Cruz brings out the relationship when he writes, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ involves total commitment and obedience to him. And this always involves doing what he commands. And what is his commandment? Love one another. God commands us to love. Let me give in closing an illustration to show how this might play out in the life of a believer. And then we'll have communion right after that. So last March 2023, a church in Bryan, Ohio, by the name of Dad's Place, under the leadership of a pastor named Chris Avell decided after prayer and because of some of the needs that have been going on in the life of the church and because they have the resources decided and because of where they're placed at in the community to open up the facilities of their church to the homeless 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the purpose, the reason why they do this is because to give them a reprieve from extreme temperatures of hot and cold and to give them a place to rest and to eat. They're right next door to a shelter, and so often the shelter fills up quickly because they're right next door to the shelter. They then open up their building to help care for those who are there. And through this ministry, because they've opened up their building and there's some believer there at all times of the day and night, they're engaging with people in relationships, and they're having spiritual conversations. And through this ministry, they have seen a number of people come to faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized by using this opportunity to minister to the needs of others. Well, this past November, Pastor Chris came to the church, and what happened was what no pastor wants to happen on a Sunday morning. When he arrived at the church building for service that morning, there was a police officer in the parking lot waiting for him. The police officer came to him, and on behalf of the city, served him with 18 zoning violations and let him know that the city was criminally charging him for providing a place for the homeless to rest. The city said, hey, listen, your facility does not have beds and thus it cannot serve as a shelter, which he's not allowed, the church is not allowed by zoning regulations to be able to have beds. They said the only thing that you could do is to move the people to a, another location. And every day that you keep this building open and allow the homeless to come in and rest, you will incur another violation. Now, the church has remained open since then up until now. First Liberty after Institute, after hearing about the case, has taken up to represent him in these matters. And it was through this, by this coming out, the various news sources have interviewed him about what was going on, what was happening there in Bryan, Ohio, and how the city is working against the church in this situation for showing compassion to those who are homeless. And they asked him in various news interviews, why in the world are you choosing to do this at the cost of criminal charges against yourself? You could end up going to jail for this. And here's what Pastor Chris said. In Scripture... Jesus said to some of his followers, he goes, hey, you know, when I was a stranger, you let me in. When I was thirsty, 
you gave me a drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was a prisoner, you visited me. All these things. We give gifts to those we love, and God gave us the greatest gift when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And I want to give him good gifts. He went on to say, this is about me worshiping my God. This is about me showing love to Jesus by doing what he has commanded me to do. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what we try to do here at Dad's Place, and I sincerely believe we're commanded to do this to our ability. And churches all over the country do this, even here in Bryan, Ohio. I don't believe it's an option. It's a command. I love God, so I keep his commands. He went on to share as he broke into tears that he wanted to do for others what God had done for him. He had been an atheist, and he had no eternal home. And God saved him, even though he didn't deserve it. And God had given him an eternal home. And he wanted to do that for others. Another church in the area, Brian Assembly of God Church, heard about what's going on. They said, we want to join in and we want to support what you're doing. And did a fundraiser to help do that. And it has motivated many in the community to realize and say, you know what? I need to take time and care for others. Brothers and sisters, this is God's command to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, and love one another. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. May we live in obedience to your command. May we honor Christ. May we serve him. And Lord, may our hearts be faithful to him and may our lives demonstrate that faithfulness in the actions that we take toward others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.